Good morning. I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. I want to thank you all for being here today, especially our guests who are with us in person or watching online or listening to our podcast. We just are grateful that you're spending time with us today. Mark, we're super glad to have you here, and we're thankful for our partnership uh, as we try to right this terrible wrong. Um, North Carolina's first, uh, or Charlotte's first in North Carolina for human trafficking, and we're in the top 10 in the nation, and that's something we don't want to be known for. And so it's awesome to partner with Mark uh, and uh, his ministry as uh, rescuing women and helping them get out of bad situations uh, and getting their lives back together. So that's a powerful thing that we get to do together, and we're super glad to be a part of that partnership. Uh, I'm also excited about what Kevin said about starting the soundtrack uh, miniseries within the story. And we're talking about how our stories can be part of God's story. Maybe one way of thinking about our story is, is the way that we speak about our lives, also the way that we live our lives. But if, 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 there were to, if we were to put music to your life story, what would that music be? What would that soundtrack be? And I'm sure there'd be lots of different songs on there. And, you know, maybe it's classical, maybe it's country, maybe it's heavy metal, maybe it's all of it and a bunch of other stuff thrown in. I'd like to think there's some U2 in my story, but I don't know if Bono would go along with that. But uh, uh, what, what does your life sound like? What does that look like? And what kind of beautiful music could God uh, play uh, as a score over your life story? So maybe start thinking at it just from a, a different, fun perspective. What does my life sound like? What, what is my story? What kind of a sound, what kind of a song uh, does, it, does it give off? So before we dive in, let me just invite you to join me in a moment of silent prayer. Uh, that I would deliver God's word today, uh, that we would hear that and allow our stories to be part of God's story. Let's pray together. When I'm not preaching in movie theaters and actually get to sit out in the theater and watch movies with my family, uh, all the movies that we see now are child-friendly because Laura and I have two boys that are 10 and 6, and so don't get to see all the cool adult movies that we want to see. And so, But you know, that's what Netflix is for, and that's all fine and good because there's some really good children and family movies. Uh, a few years ago, I uh, went and took the boys to see the Lego movie, which is a really funny movie, and interestingly enough, has something to do with today's sermon. So you get to see part of the Lego movie. Check this out. It's a great movie. It's, it's really funny. And what I like about it is that snarky song, Everything is Awesome, uh, is a way of the Lego movie kind of making fun of conformity, that a lot of things that we do to fit in and have people like us and to always be happy, even if a shark's eating us, uh, is to conform to what's going on in the world. And so uh, the song is used in the movie kind of as a brainwashing so that when everything's not awesome in our community, like human trafficking is not awesome, that we think everything is awesome and everything is good. And so it's like this, this, this rebellion against the brainwashing of conformity. It's, it's rebelling against the status quo, going against the crowd. And that's a big theme that's going on in today's scripture lesson. It happens like 1,100 years before Jesus is born, like 3,000 years ago. It is now tied to this 21st century Lego movie. It's all about conformity and the things that we'll do to fit in, to think that we're awesome when really uh, we're, we're doing things that might not be in our best interest. So, Having said that, let's dive into Scripture and see how it all connects. So we're again, we're about 1,100 years before Jesus is born, so over 3,000 years ago. And the people of Israel have gotten out of slavery in Egypt. They've wandered around in the desert for 40 years. They've taken the land of Israel back. 
Uh, and now they're in Israel, and they're ruled uh, by successive leaders that are known as judges. Uh, these judges do judicial things, but they do more than just that. They're also military leaders, and they're also spiritual leaders. They're also priests, and so they rule Israel. And in the midst of all this, depending on how the judge does, there are enemies that Israel is always having to fight against. And in this case, 1,100 years before Jesus, their enemies are the Philistines. And so the Philistines and the Israelites are fighting back and forth. And, and lately, the Philistines have been getting better on the Israelites because some things are, are not going really well. So the leader now, the, the judge, is a man named Eli. He's also the priest, one of the priests. Uh, and Eli's been ruling Israel for a long time. And he has two sons who are also priests, and they are, they're ruling beneath him and helping lead the people in religious ways. But they're not faithful to God. And they're doing things that, that are not awesome, and, and they're doing things that are not good. Uh, for example, when people bring offerings to, to God, they are stealing them and, and eating them for themselves. Uh, they're also sleeping with the women who work at the local worship area, the tabernacle, who help lead worship, right? Probably not the best way to do church growth, I'm guessing. Uh, and so Eli's sons are bad news. And uh, it's kind of reflecting poorly on Eli. The Philistines are really putting it to the Israelites. So that's part of the drama that's going on. Uh, and then we shift a little bit over. There's a man named Elkanah, and Elkanah is, is a man of God. But he makes a big mistake, and he marries two women who are at the, at the same time. He has two women, so he's a bigamist. He has two wives, and uh, that's not working out really well for him because they're kind of rivals, and they don't get along with each other. One of his wives is able to have lots of children, and she has lots of children, has given him a, a great group of heirs to carry on the family name. And then his other wife is named Hannah. She's a God-fearing woman, and she wants a baby more than anything. And her heart aches because she wants to love and hold a child. And she also wants to be able to give her husband an heir to help carry on the, the name. Because, you know, 3,000 years ago, it's a very patriarchal society. And one of the, 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 the woman's job was to, to have babies. And so I know that's very sexist from our perspective today. But in 3,000 years ago, that was a big role that they, they needed to do. And she wasn't fulfilling that role. And so she was sad. And, and, and her other sister wife was making fun of her. Like, what's your problem? Like, I've got all these kids. You must have done something against God or somebody, you know, to be punished. And you can't have children. So, you know, and just, you know, really giving it to her. And it's just, it's really sad. And so one day Hannah's just, she's praying and she is sad and she's wanting a baby. And she's talking to God and, and she's so into prayer that Eli, the, the, the priest, the, the judge, sees her and he thinks she's drunk, that she's been drinking. She's like, no. And she explains the situation to him. And long story short, you know, God takes compassion upon Hannah and she conceives a son and names him Samuel. Uh, and she made a promise that if she ever had a, a child, that she would dedicate that child to God. And so soon after Samuel's born, she takes him to Eli and asks Eli to raise Samuel as a priest and, and to be his mentor. And she'll come visit and you know bring him clothes and the whole nine yards. And, and later she's going to have five other children and, it's, and she's going to be blessed in that sort of way. Uh, but we see Samuel begin to grow up, and he's learning under Eli. Eli kind of has a second chance where he didn't get it right with his own boys to get it right with Samuel, and it is going right with Samuel. And Samuel, at, at a young age, he, he hears something in the night calling his name, and he thinks it's Eli. And, 
it ends up being God who's calling him. And so Eli encourages him, you know, Samuel, you need to listen to God. God's talking to you in an audible voice. That's incredible, right? So just listen to what he has to say. And so God lays a heavy message upon Samuel. And he says, you know, Eli and his sons, they haven't been doing the right thing. They're getting ready to die, and I'm going to replace them. And, and that's the message. And so Samuel, at a young age, becomes a prophet. And a prophet is simply someone who speaks for God. God gives them a message to speak on their behalf. And Samuel loves Eli, and he's been like a father to him. And, you know, he's got to give him this news. And so Eli says, what did God tell you? And Samuel's kind of hesitant about doing, telling him what's, and he says, no, you got to tell me. And so Samuel tells him what's happening, and, and, and Eli's not thrilled about it. But he understands, and, and he accepts it. And, and soon after that, his sons are killed. Then, then he falls, after hearing this, breaks his neck. And it's just this tragedy. Again, all this drama going on. And uh, so Samuel eventually becomes the leader of the people of Israel. And he leads them well as a prophet, as a judge, as a, as a priest. And he leads them for his whole life. And he's faithful to God. And in that process, the people of Israel triumph over the Philistines, their enemies, and, and things are going really well. But history also seems to somewhat repeat itself. When Eli's old, uh, his, I mean, when Samuel's old, his sons, they also now are rulers, and they're ruling in a way that's unjust. And so they have strayed from their father. But it seems to be a little bit different in this case where Samuel remained faithful to God. He tried to be faithful to his, his children, his boys, and do everything right. It's just when they were adults, they chose to use their freedom of choice that God gives all of us, and they chose not to do the godly thing. And so the people of Israel have seen this play out before, and they're not excited about it. And so they come to Samuel in his old age, and they're upset and they're ready for a change. And, and, and they want to act before God's going to act because they saw how that, that ended the last time. And so that's where we pick up the story today. So if you've got your Bibles with you or your tablets or your phones, you want to get up your Bible apps, or if you just want to look on the screen behind me, we're going to be in the first book of Samuel, 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. It's near the beginning of the, of the uh, start of the Bible. So we've looked at the first five books of the Old Testament. They're called the Law, the Law of Moses, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, that's from the beginning of time to Moses getting the law. Uh, then we looked at Joshua as the people came back into the promised land to, to take it over. Then we looked at Judges, these rulers of Israel. Last week we looked at Ruth. It's all about the same time frame. So now we're in 1 Samuel. So the, the elders of Israel are super upset and they've come to talk to their leader, to Samuel. And this is what they say in 1 Samuel chapter 8. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. So they recognize that he is good, but his sons are not. So there's a difference there, but, but the boys aren't cutting it. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. We want to be like everybody else. All the other nations, they don't have prophets that lead them. They don't have judges. They have a true king. Your boys aren't cutting it. We want a king to lead us. We want to be awesome, just like everybody else. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. Right? What, you know, I'm the leader, right? Am I not good enough? You know, what's going on? So he prayed to the Lord. That's a great example. When we get upset or we, we get challenged by something, maybe before we open our mouth to other people, maybe we need to go and talk to God. So Samuel talks to God, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. 
It's not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Absolutely, Samuel, that's got to be personal. That's got to sting. They don't want you to be the leader. Your, your boys aren't leading well. But when the people of Israel are asking for a king, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. I'm the leader. You guys have been ruling on my behalf. And so they're rejecting me as king. God goes on to tell Samuel that it's just it's not a good idea to give the people a king because uh, that's not what they really need. And, and he goes back and he tells them what God says. He's like, okay, God can give you a king, absolutely. It's not what God wants, but if you want a king, I think God's going to give you a king. But this is what God says. If you get a king, eventually some of these kings that come along, they're not going to be great kings. And you're going to wish that you never asked for a king because they're going to conscript you into the army. They're going to draft your sons and, and you and make you fight wars that you might not want to fight. Uh, a king's going to take some of your property. He's going to tax you. He's going to take your produce and, and all the stuff that you're farming and producing. They're going to take parts of your flocks and your animals, and, and you're going to have to give them some of that. Your king is even going to take your daughters as wives or, or as concubines, and there's nothing you can do about it. Be really careful. Be really sure that you know what you're getting into when you're asking for a king. God says this is not a good idea. But the people of Israel say, we don't care. We want to be like everybody else. We want a king. We're tired of you. We're tired of all this mess. Tell God we are ready for a king. So God says, okay, if you want a king, I'm going to give you a king. Sometimes God will give us what we want when it might not be the best thing that we need because we're, we're demanding it so much. So be careful what we ask for. So God grants them this wish of giving them a king. And it starts out well. So God sends Samuel to go and to anoint the first king of Israel. And he goes to a man named Saul. And he happens to be a member of the least tribe of the 12 tribes. So if you rank the 12 tribes in order of power and, and all that kind of stuff, this would be number 12. And Saul's like, you want me to be king? And Samuel said, that's what God says. And so actually, even though he's part of a, the, the least tribe, Saul looks the part. He's tall and he's good looking and he is strong and he's going to be a great military leader. In fact, Saul's going to be king of Israel for over 40 years and he's going to lead them to lots of victories over the Philistines. But Saul's not perfect. But God sees something special in Saul and thinks he can overcome with God some of the, the imperfections that are in his life. And again, Saul leads really well for a long time. But at the end of the day, Saul is his own worst enemy, and he strays from the path of God. And we read about it. We watched it up on the video. There's two major ways that Saul kind of makes an error. The first is, in one case, he takes things into his own hands when he should have waited on God and waited on Samuel. And and so that, that's a big mistake. Another time, he becomes greedy and he, he keeps some of the spoils of war that he's not supposed to do. And, and so these two reasons uh, disqualify him from being the king. And so God's going to send Samuel out Why Saul is still on the throne to find his successor. And we're going to read about that next week. But about two or three generations away from Saul, we're going to see that God was not telling the people of Israel a lie that asking for a king is not going to end well, right? Even with Saul himself, there's going to be a lot of Israelite blood that's shed because of Saul and his unfaithfulness, and he's going to meet a violent death. His own children are going to meet a violent death. But a few, couple of generations away from Saul, we're going to begin to have a line of kings 
And a few of them are going to be good kings, but most of them are going to be bad kings. And they're going to lead the people away from God. And they're going to have all kinds of terrible things happen to the people of Israel. Lots of violence is going to happen against them. The king's going to claim their daughters and their land and their money. And everything that God said was going to happen is going to happen. And so the people of Israel are going to find out in a couple of generations that they made a mistake. They made a big mistake and that sometimes... When we follow the crowd, the crowd's going to bring us down. Sometimes when we bow to peer pressure or we want to fit in like everybody else because everybody's doing it, sometimes when we follow the crowd, the crowd will bring us down. And we don't have to live 3,000 years ago to know that. I'm guessing that all of us, whether we're young or middle-aged or, or seniors, that we understand the power of peer pressure, that we want to fit in and we don't want to stand out uh, of the crowd where we can be made fun of or ri- be ridiculed or, or seen as different or odd. And so sometimes we go along with what everybody else seems to be doing because we want to fit in, even though we know down deep this is probably not the best thing for me or for my family or for the people that I love. And so we sometimes feel that peer pressure and we bow to it. You know, sometimes it's when we're young and and somebody asks us to drink alcohol when we're underage or to, to smoke a joint. Or maybe it's when we're older and we're going through some issues and we get hooked on prescription pain medication that we're, we shouldn't be doing. Or maybe it's somebody saying, you know, it's okay if you click on some of those websites that are, that are pornographic. You know, no one's going to know. You're just looking. You're, you're not doing anything other than looking. That, that's not going to end your marriage or relationship in a negative way or Maybe it's at work where someone says, you know what, we've got to do some unethical things to make the bottom line look better than it really is. And, you know, it's probably not legally correct or morally correct, but everybody else in the industry is doing it. We're not going to get caught. So, you know, if you want to keep your job, if you want to get promoted, you really need to look the other way. Maybe it's with money. Everybody else has a fancy car or lives in this kind of house or has these kind of clothes or has these gadgets or sends their kids to this camp or Disneyland, and we got to keep up with everybody else. Even though we can't afford it, we're going to have to take on all this debt, right? Brothers and sisters, what crowd are you listening to right now? What crowd could you be listening to that might be leading you astray, telling you that everything is awesome, everything is wonderful, but really it's the exact opposite of that? And we just don't think that we have the strength to stand out on our own, to do the right thing, to know that if we follow this path that we're going to end up in a bad situation. Or maybe we just think it's not going to happen to us. It doesn't happen to anybody else. We've got to go along with the crowd. We've got to conform. Sometimes the crowd can bring us down. Brothers and sisters, what crowd are you following right now? And sometimes the crowd is strong. And it's big, and there are lots of people, like all the elders of Israel, right, 3,000 years ago, or the entire nation of Israel, like, we're in this together. Every other nation has a king. We need a king. It's not going to be as bad as you say it is. It couldn't be any worse than it is right now, so give us a king. So sometimes that crowd is large. Sometimes it's just a group. Maybe it's the group at work. Maybe it's the group that we hang out with our friends at school. Maybe it's a family group, right? Sometimes the crowd can be really small but very vocal. Sometimes two or three people are so vocal and and saying stuff so loud and and consistently that that they're voicing the opinion of a minority, but they do it so well that we think that they're speaking for a majority and we're misled. Everybody else might be thinking like us, but the minority is driving the bus. 
And sometimes the crowd might be a simple crowd of one person to where we're the crowd and we're giving ourselves bad advice. Kind of like Saul, right? He was doing a lot of good things, but then he, he just listened to himself and he decided you know, not to wait on God and to do, take matters into his own hands. He decided to get greedy and just grab something that he wanted. So sometimes the crowd is a crowd of one. What crowd, brothers and sisters, are you listening to right now? What crowd could be a dangerous crowd that could be bringing you down saying everything's awesome when everything is absolutely not awesome? So this week, I was over near Carmel Road, and I went to see some of our church members. Uh, I had a really good visit with them. It was in kind of the mid-morning range, and I had just enough time to grab something to eat before I was going to meet with our staff, and we are going to talk about worship stuff, which is really exciting. I was looking forward to that, and so I just kind of got my phone out, got the Maps app out, kind of punched it, and just hit, you know, food, what's close by, and I found out that there was like a Japanese steakhouse that I hadn't been to that was, you know, kind of close by. And they had like lunch specials. And it's the kind where you sit down and they do all the fancy stuff, which I love. And I love Japanese food. But I love the shrimp sauce the most, you know, that that yellow or white sauce, whatever it is. I'd eat that on cardboard. You guys know what that's like? Like that stuff I would pour on cardboard and I would eat it. So uh, so I'm like, yeah, I got to go do that. So I went over there and, you know, it's kind of like a horseshoe table that they sit you at. And so I'm going in just by myself and they put me on one end of the table. On the other side, there's two kind of middle-aged ladies that came in together. In the middle of the long part of the table is a lady with her daughter who's probably in her mid-20s. And so it's a mother-daughter kind of lunch, which is really neat. Uh, And then they bring these three young men, uh, well, probably in their mid-30s to early 40s. There's three of them. I think they're coming from work just based on kind of their initial conversation. They all seem to be single, no no wedding bands or anything on. And and they put them right beside me in the horseshoe. And um, they're having their conversation. I'm trying to give them space and do my own thing, and I've got my phone out, and I'm working on my bracket for the, the March Madness and uh, so that I can beat Kevin and all the other staff members. Uh, and so we're doing all that kind of stuff, and uh, so I'm, I'm looking at that. The food comes. I have to put the phone down to eat, and I'm getting my sauce. You know, I'm loving all that kind of stuff, and I'm trying not to listen to the conversation next to me, but it's just impossible not to eavesdrop, so I just, I just quit pretending, and I just start listening. And uh, you've done it. I know you've done it. You've done it. Uh, so, um, so the one guy, he's probably late 30s, early 40s, is telling his two colleagues from work that he and his girlfriend have made the decision to live together, to move in together, and uh, they, this is going to kind of be the test for their relationship to see if it's going to go on in, into marriage, that sort of thing. And she's currently living in Raleigh. He lives in Charlotte. She's from Charlotte. Her parents are here. She's going to move back. She's going to put a lot of her stuff in storage, going to move in with him. And uh, she works from home out of Raleigh, so she can work out of home in Charlotte. So the transition would be easier for her to move here than for him to move to Raleigh. He's given his uh, current roommate two months' notice that they need to find a new place to, to stay, and he thinks that was fair to do that. And uh, he, he begins to talk to his friends, his colleagues, about how he has a contingency plan. That if this doesn't work out, he thinks it'll be okay because uh, it might be awkward living with her for a few weeks or whatever till they would go their own ways. But he doesn't think she's going to go psychotic, you know, like fatal attraction on him and that it won't get ugly if they break up. And I'm thinking, are you serious? Like, right, if, it, if you break up, it's going to get ugly if you live together. And uh, the people who go like all fatal attraction, they don't advertise that until after you break up with them. So anyway... 
I'm having all this happen in my head and I'm trying to think, you know, keep your mouth shut. Don't open your big mouth. It's none of your business. He doesn't know you, right? Just, but I, you know, I just, I want to like scream out, dude, have you thought about this? Right? You think this is what God's calling you to do? Do you, do you think this aligns with scripture? And of course, again, I don't know him. He does not want my opinion. It's none of my business. If I said anything like that, it would sound so judgmental that it would just, you know, shut any conversation down, right? And, you know, and if I had said something like that, he'd probably like, well, who are you? Well, you know, why are you butting in? But if it's any of your business, he's like, you know, I know a lot of people who've lived together and they've gotten married and, and they're doing great. And I'm sure that is absolutely true. And he'd probably say that, you know, there's people that I know that they didn't live together. They waited to live together uh, until they got married married, they got married, they're miserable in their marriage, they got divorced, and now they're miserable. So what did it, you know, what good did it do to wait to get married? And so I'm sure he'd be right, and there'd be lots of people who could attest to that. You know, and again, I'm having this internal dialogue. Should I say something? If I did, what would I say? And, you know, my, my retort to that would probably be something like, well, have you, have you not seen the studies that, that show that if you move in together ahead of marriage, that you're more likely to get divorced if you do get married? And that if you live together before you get married, that marital happiness is lower than those who wait to get married before they move in together, right? And so uh, he would probably come back and say, well, I could quote you studies that said the exact opposite, right? So, you know, this is all happening in my head. Aren't you glad you don't live in my head? And so, uh, so just having this dialogue, and he might have said something like, you know, dude, this is the 21st century. Don't you know that everybody is, is living together before they get married? In fact, right, marriage is the number, the percentage of people who are married in America is at an all-time low in the history of the country, right? People just don't want to get married. They want to make that commitment. They, they don't want to do that. And so, you know, it's smart to live together. And, you know, haven't you seen uh, the, the commercials during the NCAA tournament? Right? If you've all been watching the tournament, like there's this AT&T commercial I think I've seen like 20 times, and it's about this couple that are coming to live together uh, to test their relationship to see if they're going to be in it for the long term. Right? It's, a, it's, a, it's a national commercial, and of course they're saying, if you come to live together, you buy one phone, we'll give you one free. And so that, it's, a, it's a total commercial, trying to, but, but it's, it's mainstreaming living together. It's like, dude, pastor dude, don't you see? Everybody's doing it. This is what you should be doing. This is what we're doing. Leave me alone. Get out of, get out of your head. Get out of my head. And I'm just, I'm looking at him, and I'm not a betting man. But, you know, if I was a betting man, I wish I'd bet on the University of Maryland, Baltimore County uh, to win a basketball game because uh, I could have paid for our whole church building. We wouldn't have to have a capital campaign, right? That would have been a good moneymaker, but I'm not a betting man. But if I was a betting man, I would say to this young man, um, that it's not going to work with him and his girlfriend. I don't know much, but I do know people. And I, I would just say, by the way he was talking, there's no way it's going to work. Because he just kept saying, if it doesn't work out, if it doesn't work out, she's not going to go crazy on me. It's going to be okay. If it doesn't work he's already made up in his mind, it's not going to work out. And this should be the most exciting time in his life to say, I found someone. I think she's the one. I, I just, this is awesome, Right? Because I've been single. I was single until I was 32 years old. And I know the ups and downs of dating and having your heart broken and wanting to be in a long-term relationship. And, you know, and then by the grace of God, I found Laura, who I married. And I, I'm just grateful that we didn't live together before we got married. Uh, because this is, this is what I believe. I believe that God has called me to love my wife for the rest of my life. 
right? And, and, and the rest of her life, I believe that's a calling from God. God has given me a calling to love this woman for the rest of her life. And it's not a, if it's going to work or if it's not, it's absolutely going to happen. Because this is ordained by God. And it took some time for me to discern that. But once I discern that, there's no looking back. I'm on top of the world. I'm so excited, so confident. We're going to make it work because we're committed for the long haul. Right? And marriage is great. Marriage is difficult. But we are committed, better or worse, richer or poor, in sickness and in health. Right? So when we went into that, into that wedding and that ceremony, we never lived together. We knew it's going to work because we believe that we're called by God to love each other for the rest of our lives. And it's one of the most joyful things that I've ever experienced in my life. And I want that so desperately for this guy. And he's not got it. And he's not going to have it, right? At least until he changes something. And I just see that sometimes when we go with the crowd, the crowd can bring us down. Now, to be fair to him, if he overheard some of my conversations with my friends, he'd have a laundry list of bad things that I do and sins that I have, and, and he could write a book about me, right? So I'm not better than anybody else. My heart just ached for him and for this, 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 this woman. And uh, I didn't say anything to him because it's, it's, I don't know him. He didn't ask my opinion, but I am praying for him. And I'm praying for her that, that something happens to where they can have this, this certainty of this is the person that God's called me to love for the rest of their life. That, that's a powerful, powerful thing. You don't want to mess with that. Right? When we follow the crowd, brothers and sisters, the crowd can bring us down. But then we see Samuel. And, and he is such an example of, of what it means to follow God rather than to follow the crowd. From the very first, he had to give, he had to tell like his father-like figure that, that God's getting ready to do something and you're not going to like, right? Samuel was faithful to God. And yet at the same time, Samuel remained an individual. You know, I think a lot of times when we follow God, we think, well, it's going to be boring and we can't do this and we can't do that and we're going to be these little God robots. But, you know, in following God, I kind of see it kind of like the way that Apple markets their products. It's like we all buy the same phones. We all buy the same tablets. We all buy the same computers. We, but within that, right, we have the opportunity to individualize them. We put the songs that we want on our iPods or on our phones. We get the watch band that we want. We put the pictures on there that we want. We individualize the, the, the group dynamic, so to speak. And I think that's the way it is with God, right? God wants us to be individual and do our own thing, but we're still in the family of God, like, like the Apple products. You, once you're an Apple person, you're with the Apple group, right? right? We're in the family of God, and we can still be individuals, and we can still be faithful and follow God. And Samuel is the beautiful example of that. Now, his son's strayed, but God's not holding it against him like he held it against Eli. So there was something different there. These boys were raised in a godly way. They chose to go a different way, which is, is heartbreaking. Right? But, but Samuel is this example. And, and people begin to see the cracks in Saul, and they see that they're heading in a bad direction. And so some of the people of Israel are like, man, we messed up. Samuel, is it too late for us? I mean, what, what can we do? And so they go to Samuel. And I want to read to you uh, the next passage from 1 Samuel. It's just a beautiful thing. This is what it says, 1 Samuel 12. This is his response. The people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we won't die. For we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. We were wrong. We shouldn't have asked for what everybody else was doing. And Samuel says, Don't be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Don't chase after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they are useless. 
For the sake of, this, of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. It's not too late for you. You can turn around from following the crowd. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against you uh, and the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Samuel says it's not too late. If you're following the crowd, it's not too late to turn around and to follow Christ. So, So what I think the big idea is, right? the big takeaway, if you want to write this down or take a picture or talk about it with your family, your friends, is this, is, is conform to Christ, not to the crowd. Conform to God, conform to Jesus, conform to Christ, not to the crowd. And I, I put a preference there that says change the tune, right? So if, if we've been listening to the crowd, if we've been listening to everything is awesome for like forever and we're so sick of listening to the crowd, change the tune, right? Change the needle on the record, change the CD, change the MP3, right? Change the tune. Stop conforming to the crowd and start conforming to Christ. It's not too late. God is ready to take us back. It's not too late. God is ready to take us back. And, and, and it's not just dating relationships. We follow the crowd in, in all kinds of ways in our life. Some of us, it's gossip. Some of us, it's, it's drugs and alcohol. Some of us, it's, it's unethical behavior at work. Right? We, we all follow a crowd that can bring us down. Jesus says, stop. Change your soundtrack. If you don't like the noise that's going on in your life, then change it. Maybe a practical thing to do is to start trying to listen to our lives, right? When, when I get caught up in the crowd and I know that I've made a mistake, I, I want to think about that everything is awesome song. It is so annoying. It's like, you know, everything is awesome, right? I don't want to be like the crowd. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that soundtrack and I'm going to replace it with something beautiful. I'm going to replace it with my own soundtrack. I'm going to dance to my own tune. And that tune is going to be a tune that's inspired by Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, if you've conformed, if you've sold yourself out, if you're trying to keep up with the status quo that's only dragging you down, it's not too late. Be like Samuel and invite God in and say, Lord, I've strayed. I'm tired of listening to this song, God. Take it off and replace it with something beautiful. Conform to Christ, not to the crowd. Conform to Christ, not to the crowd. Change your tune and let it be one that is inspired by Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.